Hammer goes bankrupt. A classic band kisses and makes up. Girls get spicy and everyone is screaming, show me the money! Raymond gets a lot of love. The mighty cowboys show the Steelers what they're made of. Tupac exits this world under questionable circumstances. The New York Yankees continue their dominance. The Macarena is rocking in every club. Presley splits up with a glove. Roses get slashed and Van Hagar is done and the country is being run by Clinton. Yes, people, we are talking all things 1996 on Growing Up Rock. Turn it up. You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Hollywood, this ain't no disco, but it sure as hell is a rock and roll show. What's going on, dude? Oh, I'm just traveling and doing work. I, you know, I ain't got it like you. I can't go to like five shows a week and stuff like that. Dude, it's a job. What do you want from me? And man, has it been an interesting the one last few days. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you something. So I think we've made it pretty clear. I do concert security. I work all kinds of shows, but this past weekend, I worked two out of three shows for this band, Fish. You ever heard of it? Oh, yeah. Fish with a P? Yeah, yeah. I don't know really a ton of their music. I have a little bit of it, but it's not something I listen to every day. Okay, so essentially, it's this generation's Grateful Dead. Uh, That's why I don't listen to it every day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I didn't listen to our generation's Grateful Dead. Why would I listen to this generation's Grateful Dead? I'm with you 100%. But, dude, let me just tell you, it was massively amusing to people watch at the show. You had the smell of marijuana, piss, puke, (laughs) beer, liquor, and a bunch of people waving their hands around dancing that needed a bath. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Didn't even know that existed anymore. Oh, no my idea. God, dude. And let me just tell you, three nights sold out. Dude, sold out in no time. So I did a little research on this band because I was just curious. I was like, what the hell's up with this band? So this band... The guitar player himself is worth $80 million. They've been around for what? a while. Yeah, they've been <laughs> they've been around for like ni- since 1983, I think. Wow. And <laughs> here's what I'll say. Musicianship-wise, they're all really good musicians. They can yeah. play, they can sing, they're they're good players. Song-wise, they're exactly what you expect. They're jam bandy. So, uh I told my wife when I got home you know, I had a solution to becoming financially independent. Um, we would just give everybody some LSD and I would write a song that was uh, two and a half hours long. Done. I'm rich. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting, <laughs> that would be an interesting job. And I just checked my iTunes. The only song I have by them is Character Zero. I don't even know what it sounds like. 
dude, I can I can name one of their songs. I will say this: I've heard a couple of good things because I had some fun conversations with some of the fans. So one of the things this band does is on Halloween they all dress up in costumes and they come out and they play an album front to back, but not net, not like their own album. Like they played the Beatles White Album front to back. They played Who Quadrophenia front to back. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was a cool idea. I thought it was kind of cool because they probably do the albums justice because they are pretty good musicians. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds fun, but definitely not my bag. Yeah. That started off my weekend. And then yesterday I went and did a job for Stone Temple Pilots, the cult and Bush. The wow. Revolution 3 Tour is what they're calling it. Okay, so Bush is opening cult support, SDP's headline. Well, now you would think that. <laughs> and personally, that's what I thought it should have been, but no. The really? cult opened up the show. Well, technically, they had some, like, I don't even know if it was a local band. I don't know. They had some weird band playing uh, in front that played for, like, 20 minutes. And then the cult opened the show. They played an hour. Bush came out, played an hour. Stone Temple Pilots came out and played an hour. So they each got an hour set. Interesting. And it was not well attended, I can tell you that. <laughs> not well attended at all. It was a fairly small venue. Yeah, 6,500 maybe is the size of the venue. And uh, they, they sold half that. Yeah, if you think about it, that's really almost three different generations. You got 80s, you got 90s, and then Bush is like 90s and 2000s a little bit, right? Yeah. I would have just thought it would have sold a little bit better. I mean, I think that's a pretty good bill. I'm not a Bush fan. I don't like Bush very much. Uh, I could shivigate about Bush, but I do like the cult, and I do like STP. And new STP record's good, even with the new singer. Man, you know, the new singer's channeling Wyland anyway, but... The new record sounds pretty good, I think, if you're an STP fan. so. Yeah, and I'm an STP fan. The Cult, I mean, they got an hours full of hits, so they just played the hits. Yeah, I like The Cult. I mean, I've always liked The Cult. I don't love every last thing they've done, but I, I do like quite a bit of Cult. So. Yeah. so that was my take. But what was most amusing about last night <laughs> was the venue is built on kind of a hill. And uh, there's a main gate to the place, and outside the gate, there's a road that that runs in front of the venue, and it connects two major roads, so people people will pass through and use it. And okay. so the road has speed bumps because they don't want anybody speeding through there, right? Right. So, and it's a pretty good incline. I mean, it's a long, pretty long hill. Uh, and a pretty good size hill. We're not talking San Francisco hill, but we're talking just a pretty good incline. And so last night I'm outside the main gate and I'm just kind of, you know, shooting the shit and, you know, just monitoring, checking out things, making sure everything's cool to go. And I hear this kind of like white noise going on. I look and there's this guy coming down the hill on one of those motorized <laughs> skateboards. And I'm telling you, this this wasn't a kid. This was like literally like a 40, 40 to 50-year-old man 
roughly. That that would have been my guess. He's coming down this hill on a motorized skateboard, and he's coming fast. (laughs) I mean, he's coming pretty fast. It's a hill, and it's a skateboard, and it's a motorized skateboard at that. (laughs) And he hits that speed bump. (laughs) and goes flying like Superman flat out flying for about 20 feet. And he proceeds to break his fall with his face and his body. (laughs) (laughs) So much to the point. I mean, it was loud, dude. And it was to the point to where I gasped. I mean, I called medical like immediately because before he even hit the ground, I was like, I need a medic. I need a medic now because I knew that that dude was hosed when he hit the ground and he hit hard. And and luckily we had a medic like literally right at our gate. We had an EMT guy. So he was he was on top of the guy within 10 seconds, essentially. You know, the guy laid there for a few minutes and and moaned and groaned. And he got up, you know, he was skinned up, but he got up and, and they walked him inside the venue so they could take a better look at him and, you know, see if they need to call an ambulance or whatever and just see if he was all right. And his buddy comes wheeling down the hill on his skateboard about, you know, two minutes later. And so they go in and he gets patched up and, and everything. And he had a helmet, but he didn't have his helmet on. He had his helmet in his hand and he's thumbing through his pockets while he's coming down that hill. (laughs) (laughs) Smart, real smart. Dude, he comes out of the venue. He comes out of the venue and he climbs right back on the skateboard and, and heads off. But, uh, he was literally, he was the butt of the joke the rest of the night. And I just, you know, sometimes people trying to recapture their youth or too much money for their own good is not necessarily a good thing. And th- and this <laughs> venue, by the way, is kind of in a ritzy area. So most of the people that live around there are pretty well to do. Yeah. Basically. Wow. So I think this was just somebody that had a little bit of money and had decided he, he and his buddy were going to buy these little toys and, uh, that backfired on him pretty good. <laughs> but, but once I knew he was okay, it was pretty amusing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so needless to say, I did, I did enjoy that for the evening. Uh, but then on to the concert, you know, I thought all three bands were pretty pretty good although I'll, I'll say it again i don't like bush bush doesn't do a thing for me i thought stone temple pilots sounded great uh new singer and all they sounded really really good and they played uh they played the majority of stuff you would want to hear i mean they played some good stuff and uh the cult sounded great you know sound just like they always sound they're not terribly exciting live but i like them they sounded good you know they never have been no, they really haven't. But hey, we're getting into all things 1996 for this uh, episode of uh, the Saint No Disco, right? Yeah, we're going to have a tough time agreeing on some of this stuff. So I'm a believer, and I think this is going to ring true in later episodes. As we get farther away from like 1995 into the now, 
we are going to agree on less and less music, most likely. Yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, you like ballads. I don't like ballads. You like shredders. I'm not a huge shredder person. You like singers with 12 active voices, and I'm more about the song than I am the singer. You like purses, and I like chicks that carry purses. And Nice. <laughs> and, and I went, you know, at that time frame, especially the late 90s, I, I went towards top 40 because it was at least listenable. A lot of the stuff I was hearing, even by bands I loved, wasn't the new stuff wasn't really listenable. Yeah. And I spent a lot of the late 90s going backwards and discovering stuff I had never heard before I got into music or maybe stuff I missed in the 80s. So, like, even when I look at my iTunes and look at what do I have from 1996, it wasn't a ton. I can yeah. tell you that. All right. So we're going to dive deep into all this for sure. Uh, but before we get too far into this Ain't No Disco 1996... Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so just like Samantha said, uh, you can go to our website and give us your rock and roll story. Reach out to us. You can connect with us on Facebook on Instagram, on Twitter, at Growing Up Rock. We love to communicate with folks and start conversations on either episodes or whatever it is you're listening to these days or whether you think Sonny and I are full of shit or however you want to shape that. We've got a lot to go through today, so we're going to skip the grown-ups of the week this week, but we do appreciate everybody that has shared uh, our episodes we definitely appreciate you guys helping us out to get the word out and helping us at podchaser.com as well. You can go there and review individual episodes. You can review the show. You can share the show. You can share episodes. It's fantastic. It's easy and it's awesome. But before we get into that, it's time to crank me up. Crank me up! It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so I decided that the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight should be centered around 1996. What else? That's what we're talking about. And it was tough for me to find anything worth a shit in 1996, I'll be honest. I don't know why Sonny picked this year. Because <laughs> it was a year. We have to pick it at some point. Whatever. It's probably because your boyfriends and Kiss got back together or something. That might have something to do with it. Exactly. Anyway, Kiss picked a good year to get back together because there wasn't shit else happening this year in terms <laughs> of rock and roll. Well, did I say that out loud? My bad. This is a great episode we got planned for you. Don't you worry. <laughs> so... So I had an album by a band called Gravity Kills, uh, which is an American industrial rock band out of St. Louis, Missouri. So I'm sure they must be friends with our friend uh, Jody Have Not, right? I'm sure. Their music was described by one critic as a blending of eerie industrial rock with pop-infused melodic courses and a bit of hardcore head banging. So 
there were a lot of industrial bands out at this time. I liked the ones that had a pretty good dose of guitar, as long as I could still understand the vocals. So I kind of liked Nine Inch Nails. I liked Gravity Kills. I liked Filter. Uh, I liked some bands like that, but I didn't over like a ton of this stuff. Sonny, I don't think you liked any of this shit, did you? Yeah, the industrial rock pop, whatever alternative, whatever you want to call it. I was not a big fan because I got dragged to clubs a lot. You know, we're going to go dance in or blah, blah. My wife's really into that. So all I heard was felt like the same song over and over with this. You would be surprised that why is industrial rock being played at these clubs? But the bass was so thumping that uh, some of these rock clubs in San Francisco love that kind of music. And it all just sounded the same to me. It's depressing as hell. <laughs> yeah well it was a sign of the times what are you gonna do none of, there wasn't any other bands putting out good music so i had to take my guitar where i could get it but they put out an album uh, and again i kind of enjoyed the record when it came out i'm gonna play their first single off that record and this is a song called guilty give it a listen
Yeah, you mentioned Nine Inch Nails earlier. It, it sounds similar to me. Anything that kind of made the mainstream mainstream and started charting, I at least heard Filter had a little bit of that. I guess you could throw Bush into that a little bit. That stuff I could stomach because those guys that put it into the mainstream understood that there was people out there that couldn't handle the hardcore stuff probably. This was a tough listen for me today. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I think these guys sounded a little bit more like filter than they did Nine Inch Nails to me, but yeah, same vein, same same genre, same thing. I dug the song. I thought it was a pretty good song. I think the album overall is all right. Is it my favorite? Probably not, but neither is 1996. <laughs> so Sonny and I had to go on an excavation to find fucking anything that was more uh, palatable than an actual turd. In this era. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> Stick with us, people. I swear we got some good music. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's the great thing about these Ain't No Disco episodes that no matter what year it is, we can always find good rock and roll. And that's right. I think we found some good rock and roll throughout the course. I know you did. There's a couple of things that you're playing. So you're taking the deep dig approach to rock and roll 96 and you found some interesting things that i hadn't even heard but i think are really good i took probably the more mainstream approach but tried to pull some things that maybe you're not hearing on the radio every two minutes so uh that was my approach so okay let's let's get into this man how old were you in 1996 sonny uh, 26 turning 27. So put you at 30, 31. I was 30. Yeah. You were living in Atlanta already. I was based out of Atlanta, but very rarely here because I was on the road at the time. Oh yeah. We were in the Bay area. I mean, we were locked down in the Bay area. The job I had had was pretty stable. And uh, I ended up being that company for 14 years. So we were pretty much locked down in the Bay. Although I was like, sometimes I work in San Jose, sometimes in Oakland, sometimes in Frisco, sometimes Sacramento. But I was living basically in the same area. Right on. Awesome. Well, you ready to get in some rock and roll here to kick off our uh, This Ain't No Disco 96? Yep, you're going first. All right. I'm going to kick it off with one that I heard last night from the friends at stone temple pilot what has to be the absolute longest song title and longest album title put together on one line this is tripping a hole in a paper heart by tiny music songs from the vatican gift shop enjoy
yeah. So this time frame, the bands that I like uh, that were still out there, Metallica, Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots. I listened to some Soundgarden. I wasn't really into Pearl Jam at all, so I'd already gotten over that. I liked some of it, but I was over that pretty quick. This is a good song, though. A hummable melody. Like, it's a memorable melody. It's something I would be humming later. It's a little more upbeat. Yeah, when I first heard this record, I was kind of thrown off because it was so much different than, you know, any of the stuff that they had put out to this point. But it grew on me really quickly. Like, I, I thought this was a really good record. It had some good stuff on it. And uh, Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart, I thought, was a really good song. Uh, exactly everything that you just said. It rocks. I like it. All right. Okay, so my first pick, I immediately went out of the U.S. and decided to go look at something else. So I picked basically the biggest rock band in Switzerland because the last 11 albums have went number one. Now... Switzerland only has 8 million people. So a platinum album in Switzerland is 30,000 in sales, by the way. I don't what what is it in the US? It's a million, right? Yeah. So there's 350 million people in the US and a million have to buy it to be platinum. So we have 40 times. I guess the math works out. So these guys deserve the platinum records they're getting. A lot of folks don't know a bunch about uh, Goddard at all. And the way you spend it, uh, spell it is G-O-T-T-H-A-R-D. I guess you could even call it Godhard, but that's not how they pronounce it. They've got a bunch of albums out there, Swiss band. Uh, the lead singer who uh, initially founded the band named Steve Lee died in like 2010 of a car accident. And then they kind of got back together with a different singer and they continue to make some great music. Check this out. It's called Make My Day. It's from the album called G. It was their third album. And tell me if this sounds like great white to you. Make my day.
Gothard is a band that intrigues me more and more because they do have a ton of material and I'm starting to really, really like a lot of the stuff. I told you uh, several episodes ago, uh, I think I talked about Corleone, the guitar player, uh, has his own thing. Uh, aside from Gothard, that sounds very good as well. So I'm starting to really like this band quite a bit. I like that song. Great White, uh, I don't know. You know, doesn't all blues rock kind of sort of sound the same in veins with Great White and 10 or 15 other bands? I mean, I like it. That's my bang zone, I guess. You talked about uh, Platinum, uh, Sonny. This may come as a surprise to you and, uh, and very exciting for us, but recently the Grown Up Rock podcast was certified quadruple cubic zirconian. Oh, nice. That's that plus five bucks will get me Starbucks. <laughs> so, so I thought that uh, you know that was that was uh, something worth pointing out to uh, to folks. You know. <laughs> oh, uh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, so what was your what was your go to TV show in 1996? Because I know your ass was sitting on the couch watching some tube. Oh hell yeah! So. <laughs> Uh, this is halfway through Seinfeld's life, so I was hooked on Seinfeld, absolutely. Yeah. But the two new shows that I loved that year was, remember Third Rock from the Sun? Yep. That came out that year, and then Everybody Loves Raymond. I still watch like the reruns of Seinfeld and uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. It just There were stupid sitcoms, I get it, but uh, you know, honestly, after working like crazy, watching stupid sitcoms just felt like fun yeah i enjoyed it i liked friends i liked frazier i liked. oh i forgot about frazier yep gotta love frazier those are good shows yeah no doubt no doubt all right so you can always find at least a gem somewhere within a ronnie james dio record and even though angry machines probably not my favorite dio record by any stretch of the imagination i did find this one
Right. So I refuse to call anything that Deal has done bad. So I will label that interesting. I, you know who you know who co-wrote that? I don't know who co-wrote that. Pilson co-wrote on this one. Oh, that's right. Because is this where Tracy G is the guitarist? Right. I think so. I don't. This was an interesting period of time for Dio, but I don't know if he was. He didn't get a co-write. It was um, it was Dio Pilson Apathy on the writing yeah. of this song. Yeah, just the whole album. I first of all, I don't own this album, so I had to go to uh, YouTube to go listen to it, and I just kind of listened to about six or seven tracks. And I love Dio. Don't get me wrong, but he was trying a little too hard to be like industrial grunge kind of thing. And I would have just, I much rather had last in line deal. I don't know that big sister was an industrial song. I and mean, I think it's just a rock and roll song. I liked big sister. I thought it was one of the few good songs on that record. In fact, I don't own that record, but I own this song, you know, take it for what it's worth. But that's my take. <laughs> I found some Dio in 1996 and I consider that a win, my friend. <laughs> all right so this uh my next pick is a super deep cut check this out What? 
Yeah, so I saw this on there. I listened to this song. I like this song a lot. I have no clue who this is or what this is. So tell me all about Rondinelli. So no idea who that singer was. No, but Rondinelli sounds like a former New York girlfriend that I had. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with Bobby Rondinelli. So he was in the Blue Oyster Cult. He was in Rainbow for a while, Quiet Riot, Sabbath. He was the only guy at this time who had a name. And this Rondinelli project was a 1985 project that they went into a recording studio and recorded this album with a singer nobody had ever heard of. Wait, wait, let me guess. Can I guess? Yeah. Because I, I did listen. I, you know, I only had the chance to listen to it a couple times. I listened to it a couple times. And I thought to myself at one point in time for like a split second that this guy sounded familiar. It wasn't Paul Shortino, was it? Nope. Was it same type of singer, though, isn't it? He sort of sounds uh, like a guy a little bit. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Uh, okay, I give up. Who is it? Ray Gillen. Holy shit, really? Yeah. So you listen to him in 85, and then you go listen to Badlands in 89, and his voice refined a little bit. Yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't remind me of that. I'll say that. Right. When I first heard it, I'm like, that can't be Ray Gillen. But it, they, there's flavors in there, but it's not quite done yet. It's not marinated, in other words, right? Huh. So what happens is these guys are in 85. They're recording a record. And Black Sabbath, um, Glenn Hughes gets in a fist fight and somebody, like, hurts his throat. So they're out <laughs> on tour. throat punched? Yeah, he got throat punched, basically. They're out on tour for Eternal Idol. And they're freaking out. So they need a singer, and they pick up Ray Gillen to go on tour. You know what we call throat punch? We call that dry gulch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, obviously, Gillen's got to walk away from these guys because these guys are nobodies, too, basically. And he's going to go sit for Black Sabbath. So he leaves and goes on tour. Yeah, he thinks Sabbath. his daddy got him that job. Uh, who knows? You know, you never know. <laughs> But anyway, so this album didn't get released until 1996. So they waited until, well, basically, you know, it's unfortunate to say, and I know it's shitty to say, but uh, Ray Gillen died in 1993, and anything that had Gillen attached to it probably could sell at that point. These guys dust this thing off and go release it. They tried to make a comeback in 2002 with Tony Martin and Neil Murray as part of the band, but uh, they released one album and it didn't go anywhere. But uh yeah, that album was called War Dance. That a song's called War Dance, and it's by Ron Nelly, R-O-N-D-E-N-E-L-L-I, if you want to check it out. The whole record good? It's okay. Uh, Jane Lomenzo's on bass. Um, so, and, you know, that's before White Lion and all that stuff. So, well, it's actually about the same time, right? Because White Lion's coming in late 80s. Yeah. I'd yeah, so uh, it's okay. It's It sounds demo-ish. Yeah. Because it basically is. Yeah. All right. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. All right, Hollywood. So you just heard the amazing and super talented Samantha. How can people help our podcast out and help us out besides just sharing and reviewing our episodes? Yeah, the best way, easiest way is Amazon. Uh, we got a link on our webpage. Just go to growinguprock.com. 
go down a little bit. There's an Amazon link there you can just click on and, you know, just buy whatever you need to buy from Amazon. If you go find War Dance by Ron Nelly, I'm sure it's in the bargain bin for two bucks and 36 cents <laughs> or whatever. I can tell you Angry Machine's probably there for free, so you can probably get that one for free. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, ooh, I'm being mean. Uh-oh. But anyways, it doesn't cost you a penny more, but they kick us some some help with the hosting fees, and uh, you know you help us out, and you get to shop at Amazon. What could be better? <laughs> oh, what could possibly be better? That's right. That says it all. All right, let's get back to it. All right, so what were the best movies you saw in 1996? So the best movies I saw, some of my all-time favorite movies were in 96. So the music might have been a little rough, but, man, movies were hot. Uh, I love Broken Arrow. Remember that movie? John Travolta? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Happy Gilmore. How can you not like Happy Gilmore? God, that was Uh, one of my favorite movies that year. uh, The Rock. Yeah. The one about Alcatraz. Yep. And then two of my favorite movies of all time, Tin Cup with Costner, yep. the golf movie, yep. and Multiplicity. That was the one with Michael Keaton making copies of himself. <laughs> yeah, Steve. Love that movie. Love it. <laughs> I watch it probably once every six months. Yeah, plus the first Mission Impossible came out that, that year. That is correct. That was a, The first one was really good. I enjoyed that. Twister, Independence Day came out that year. So, yeah, there were some good movies in 96 for sure. What was, yeah. what was the highest Gerson movie in 96, do you know? Uh, Independence Day by a landslide. Like, Independence grossed $817 million. The closest to it was Twister at $494 million. Third was Mission Impossible, then The Rock, uh, The Hunter of Notre Dame, uh, 101 Dalmatians. Didn't Jerry Maguire come out in 96? Yeah, it's number nine. I haven't got to it yet. Uh, okay. Uh, Ransom was seven. The Nutty Professor, remember that Eddie Murphy movie? Yep. Um, Jerry Maguire was ninth. And then Eraser, that uh, Schwarzenegger movie, was tenth. Wow. That's a trip. Hey, you know what wasn't one of the top grossing movies of uh, 1996, Sonny? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this stupid animated movie thanks to MTV. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead Do America. That one wasn't on the list, was it? No, because it only made three cents. And if you can, you can go to Amazon right now and get it for twenty-two cents in the bargain bin. I'm sure. But it did give us this.
So that is Walk on Water by the Ozman, Ozzy Osbourne, off the Beavis and Butthead Do America soundtrack. I had never heard that song. I own it. And I didn't realize it was part of the Prince of Darkness thing. Yeah. So it's in my iTunes. I'd never heard it. And uh, heard it today. I'm like, hey, that's not half bad. Uh-uh. Uh, I'm assuming that's Joe Holmes. Co-written by Jim Valance. I don't know what era that is. I don't. Maybe it if is it's Joe Holmes. I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely not Zach because there's no pinch harmonics. Yeah. So, uh, so it's definitely not Zach. And. When I saw Ozzy that year, Joe was on stage. Okay. There you go. Yeah, that's a little hit jump right there. I like that song. Yeah, it's not bad. It's all right. In an otherwise dismal year, I had to pull it off a soundtrack, but whatever. <laughs> all right. All right. So my next pick actually just got re-released last year on uh, Bob Kulik's album, uh, Skeletons in the Closet. And uh, originally, it was a song by a band called Murderer's Row. Uh, David Glenn Isley from Jufria. You got Jimmy Wal- uh, Waldo from Alcatraz. You got Chuck Wright on bass. You got Jay Shellen, who uh, was in Hurricane on drums. Um, it's a great guitar riff. It's a catchy melody. And uh, it's got a little mis- a Middle Eastern flavor from the homeland. Check out India.
Yeah, I like that song. I mean, I like it on Bob's uh, Kulik Skeletons in the Closet. Thought it was was good. We talked to him a little bit about this tune, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. That was a good interview. If you haven't checked out the Bob Kulik interview, Bob talked to a lot of people last year on podcasts. But I got to say, our interview was unique. Yeah, I think it was a good interview. You know, we talked to him about all kinds of things. And uh, you should definitely go back in our catalog and check that one out if you haven't heard it. He had some interesting things. Bob Bob uh, met Jimi Hendrix and shared that story with us, which I thought was interesting. So pretty cool stuff. So what about concerts in 96? All right, so I went to the archives and I pulled out four. February 25th, Corn and Ozzy. And I remember vividly going to the Oakland Coliseum, Ozzy's touring Osmosis. And I look up and I'm like, who the hell is that? That's not Zach, right? And it was Joe Holmes. He played fine, right? Ozzy, it was a good show, but I was so disappointed that Zach was not on stage. And, you know, back then, there's not the Google Smoogle. Like, you can't just pull it up and say, what the hell happened to Zach? <laughs> yeah, I never saw uh, Ozzy with Joe Holmes, I don't think. And then in June of that year, I saw Alice Cooper open up for Scorpions, which was a pretty good show. Cooper was touring Last Temptation, and Scorpions were touring Pure Instinct. So they didn't do a lot of new songs. It was more older songs, which is good. That's the reunion tour year. So Kiss was out there. I saw him twice back-to-back in August. Stabbing Westward opened. And so true transparency here. I thought I was going to play a Stabbing Westward song today in the 1996. I listened to the two I like. God damn, do they drag. Oh, my God. Brutal drag. See, that that was my definition of an industrial band that was kind of shitty. I didn't think they were very good. <laughs> yeah, I, wow. Um, and then I in a club called The Edge, which was in Palo Alto, California, I saw Wasp open for Ingve. That's cool. So Wasp at that time was touring Still Not Black Enough, and Ingve was touring Magnum Opus. And uh, that was a pretty good show, and I don't think there was 300, 400 people there. Yeah. That was a pretty good show. Cool. Do you see any of those when uh, they came around? I did not see any of those shows. As I said, in 96, I probably spent the majority of time on the road. Oh, right. I do think that I recall seeing a show while I was on the road in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, because I think the Spectrum was still in operation in 96, if I'm not mistaken. But I saw Oasis at the Philadelphia Spectrum in 96, if I recall correctly. I thought they were really good. Uh, I had just gotten into those uh, first couple records and uh, thought they they were excellent. They were fairly new at that point, right? I think they're on the What's the Story Morning Glory tour, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Somebody else who's good with dates can tell us. Uh, I didn't yeah. feel like looking it up to do that much research because at the <laughs> end of the day, I just don't give a shit. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I kid. I kid. No, it's all good. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that's one of the shows I saw while I was on the road. I, I wasn't. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of time. You know, you go one city and the next. So if you have a night off, you'll catch a show if you're lucky enough. So that, okay, that was all I recall. All right. So I'm up and it's time for me to get into the experimental phase of Def Leppard. 
Def Leppard released Slang this year. Definitely a departure from uh, what they had done in the past. Definitely an experimental record for them. But for me, still had a lot of various Def Leppard qualities in the production, in the vocals, things like that. I thought there were some redeeming songs on it. I didn't hate it as bad as some people did. I thought there were some reasonable songs. What was your take on uh, Slang, the record? I am 50-50 on this record, as similar to what we talked about during the Docket episode when we did that a while back. After Adrenalize, they're either love-hate for me on those next six albums. I I can stomach about half of it. I can't stomach about half of it. And experimental is a good word for it. I, I guess they were changing with the times. I just didn't love it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. I wouldn't fight anybody on it one way or another, but I did think there were some good songs on it. One of the songs that I thought was pretty good was the lead-off track called Truth. Mental is a great word. I, I actually like slang 
All I Want Is Everything, Work It Out, and Blood Runs Cold off that album. Probably better than the one you picked, but uh, it's definitely different than Pyromania, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I like Slang. Slang's probably my favorite song on the record, but I think it gets played a lot, so I didn't want to play it. I like Truth. I like, actually, you know, for a slower song, I think um, Pearls of Euphoria is a pretty good tune at the end of the record. If you haven't heard that song, go back and just give it a chance and listen to it straight through. It's kind of a long song, and there's a lot of different textures in it, but it's an interesting song, and I thought it's pretty good. Again, I think there's some redeeming songs in here. There's some good uh, melodies and good courses in there, and it sounds fantastic with headphones on, let me say that. If you got a good set of headphones, the record sounds really, really good with headphones on. All right, so my last pick, we are going to go to Germany. Uh, I will warn you, we are not at its speed and a half. Check this out. It's a killer riff.
any idea who the singer was there? Nah. Really? Nah. Jeff Scott Soto, baby. Was it? Yeah. I, I so, give it all, I give it up to Jeff, but I stopped listening when I heard uh, the first three notes of this song. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so this guy, man, listen, first of all, he's got three names. I don't need three names in my rock stars, all right? <laughs> Second of all, his first name is Axel. <laughs> come on. Can only he had be the one. name before the other Axel. Look, Axel Rudy Pell, I don't know. I, I heard it the first time when I got the Racer X record, I think. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> Axel Rudy Pell, Germany's got 18 solo albums out there. He's basically had three main singers in his years of being a solo artist. Rob Rock sang for a little while. Jeff Scott Soto did a bunch of it. And then Johnny Gioli has been really the mainstay singer for the last, I would say, probably 10 years, maybe 15. Very Yngwie-ish. That song especially is very Talisman, too, because because uh, Jeff was in Talisman kind of at the same time. But, uh, you know, Axel's, yeah. uh, he does weird stuff. He'll do all rock albums, and then he'll do all ballad albums. He doesn't usually mix it much, because I think he, he looks at it as his fans want one or the other, and not really both. But uh, he's not exactly a household name, but I think he's good. Dude, I think the talisman stuff is way better than this. Oh, I agree with that. I don't disagree with that. But uh, I like the. I, I own basically almost. I think I have everything Axel Rudy Bell's done. Why? Well, oh, come on. <laughs> I, I, I asked a simple that, question. I deserve yeah. an answer. Yeah. I say that about Rush, so I should. I deserve it. I deserve it. <laughs> That'll learn you. <laughs> All right. So what other albums were released? What gem of records did we miss in uh, 1996? Okay. So as I say, you tell me yes, no, or ugh, or make a sound or something. <laughs> Except Predator. Yeah. I listened to some of the songs today. There are actually some reasonable songs. I think that that is... Udo singing. I don't know much about that album, but the two or three tunes that I listened to today weren't bad. I just don't know much about that record. Alice in Chains Unplugged, classic. Yeah, it's a good record. It's it's nice, short, uh, some really good tunes in there. Uh, so yeah, I like that record. Uh, Bruce Dickinson's uh, grunge debut, Stunk Works. Don't know anything about it. It's all grunge. Deep Purple. They had an album called Perpendicular. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know anything about that one either. Uh, Halloween, Time of the Oath. I was going to pick something off this record, but I thought it might be too crazy. You know, I just don't know enough about Halloween. They've been around forever. It's not a band that ever stuck with me, so I'll plead the fifth. <laughs> Iced Earth, The Dark Saga. That's pretty heavy duty. Yeah, I mean, Iced Earth is another band that's been around underground for a long time, and, and they've got a you know definite loyal following, but uh, I think it's a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Uh, I think uh, our boy over there, Rock and Metal Combat's a big fan of theirs. Oh, yeah. Your buddy King Diamond, The Graveyard. I'm surprised you didn't pick something off of there. I like King Diamond. I don't know anything about that record, though. Oh, okay. Corn Life is Peachy was that their big album? Yeah, Life is Peachy is a pretty pretty big album. Yeah, I mean there's some good stuff on there. I could have picked something off that, but 
Surprised you didn't pick something off Marilyn Manson uh, Antichrist Superstar. Because we played stuff from that before, and I and I do think that that is by far his best record, and I do think yeah. it's a, a lot of good stuff on that record, and I could have easily played uh, two or three songs off of that record and been fine, but you know we we've, we've played stuff from that before. Yeah, I purposely stayed away from Metallica Load. Yeah, you know, and I I'm one of those people that is not near as big of a basher of load and reload as a lot of people are. I mean, I think bottom line is I think there's some good stuff on there. So yeah, I think so too. But everybody's heard the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Motorhead overnight sensation. I don't know anything about that record. No, nah, I don't know anything about that on either. Okay, I don't know how this one got past you. Pantera, the great Southern trend kill. I saw I it. You'd be all over that. No, I saw it again. I'll say the same thing that I said about Manson: is we played a good bit of Pantera on here before. Great Southern Road Kill is not one of my favorite records. That was when they were on their way out the door as a band. I think there's some good stuff on it. I like some of the stuff, but not my favorite Pantera record uh, by far. So. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire, that's their biggest record, right? It might be their biggest record, but it's not my favorite one. But it is an amazing record, and I love it. And I came very, very close to pulling something off of that record, but uh, just didn't at the end of the day. And that's all I got to say about it. I love Rage Against the Machine. I love their first record a lot. I think their first record is awesome. I love Scorpions, but Pure Instinct is a tough listen. Yeah, yeah I don't. That's one that I've, I always checked out on the Scorpions during this period of time, so I don't know a whole lot about that one. Listen, uh, Soundgarden's Down on the Upside. That's a pretty classic album. Classic is a little bit. No, I would not call that a classic Soundgarden really? record. Dude, no. No, uh, no, no. Quit using classic like people use the word love. <laughs> you're cheapening you're cheapening the word classic dude that is not a uh, classic record super unknown classic record bad motor finger bad motor finger classic record yes slipknot i don't know anything about slipknot but i just love the album name yeah. mate feed kill repeat love yeah it. i don't slipknot's not a band that's ever uh struck a chord with me i don't like them that much to be honest there was a bunch of best of albums. Poison had one. Van Halen had one. Yeah. Warren had one with a live record. But Warren also released Belly to Belly this year. Yeah, and I came close to picking one off that. I don't like that record overall, but there are about four or five songs that I really like off that record that I think are good songs. I was listening to one of them today. Janie Lane has a really, really good way of taking something that's pretty heavy and finding a way to slip a really good like bridge and course in there and i mean he just had a really good sense of melody i i said it before and i'll say it again i think that he was a really really good songwriter yeah three bands probably very important to our growing up rock story disbanded two came back one did not damn yankees which never came back yeah and then extreme and skid row and i think we're on skid row mock five or something like that because Skid Row with Johnny Solinger opened up the Kiss uh, second round of reunion, right? Oh yeah, that's right. I saw I saw them here in Atlanta with um, Ted Nugent and Skid Row. Yeah, yeah. 
And the one thing you didn't mention about that Van Halen record, so that Van Halen Greatest Hits was a pretty big deal because that's when they did the two new songs with Dave, right? Me Wise, uh, Magic, and um, what was the other tune? There was another one on there as well. Yeah, I forgot. I didn't like either one of the tunes. Really? You don't like Me Wise, Magic? I thought that was a good song. I didn't like either one. God dang, dude. I swear. I was pissed off that Hagar was gone. Really? All right. So one huge thing happened in 96 we need to talk about. Mr. Big put out Hey Man. Oh, hell no. I <laughs> I love Mr. Big, but that's a tough listen, too. <laughs> Didn't you miss a couple records? Oh, enough's oh, enough, yeah, pe- enough's enough Peach around. Fuzz. Come on now. Yeah, that's why I skipped around. That's a great record. You, you're only putting forth your favorite records. <laughs> King's X, Ear Candy. That was another good record, actually. That came out in 96? Yeah. I didn't know that. That was a really good record, too. That had some great stuff on it. Could have played something off that fairly easily, too. All right, so what what big happened in 96 that we got to talk about that's so amazing? Samantha, tell us where we're going, baby. You wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right, so the historic moment, 95 happens. The unplugged thing happens with Kiss. Ace and Peter end up on stage. Everybody goes nutso. They release the unplugged album in early 96. And then in, by the middle of 96, full-blown reunion tour, baby. Probably the biggest thing that happened in 96, as you could tell, uh, besides some of the great movies. They had some really interesting opening acts because they went out with a bunch of grunge acts. Alice in Change was supposed to be the major support, but I guess Lane Staley got sick or got arrested. I can't remember what happened, but they only played like three shows with them. And then that was the last time you saw Lane Staley. But uh, Unplugged is one of my favorite Kiss albums that uh, basically are not, you know, studio albums. But if you've not heard Kiss Unplugged, there's some spins on the songs that uh, are just amazing. And honestly, I never even liked the song Coming Home. But when I heard it on Unplugged, it was amazing. So check this out, Coming Home off of Kiss Unplugged.
what original Kiss record is that on? Hotter Than Hell. Okay. I don't remember. I don't necessarily remember that song, but yeah, I remember hearing it acoustically and thought it was good as well. You don't like the original version, you said? No, it's just slow. Yeah. You know, you, you take that first three albums. They're good songs, but they're a little slower. When you hear them live, they pick up the pace a little bit. Right. And I think that's why Alive was so huge. It took these great songs, picked up the pace just a little bit, and all of a sudden it connected with people. Yeah. Right? Coming home, I got to be honest, when I first heard the Unplug album, I'm like, is that a new song? Like, I didn't even remember it. And I owned Hotter Than Hell, but I didn't even remember it. Yeah. That's cool. So did you see the reunion tour? I saw it in 98. Is that? Oh, when they came back around the second time? Yeah, I didn't see it the first time around. I was on the road, but I did see it the second time around here in Atlanta. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was the first. That was the first opportunity that I got to see the original Kiss. So hell yeah, I went. I had good seats too. I was on the floor. I was a ways back, but I was on the floor at least. And part of the draw for me was being able to see Skid Row and Terrible Ted open up. I enjoyed the whole thing as a as a whole package. Was really good. You know, to kind of close out the 96 episode here, it got tougher for me. Personally, for me, it got tougher music-wise because my music was either already dead or on its last gasp where some of my favorite bands were releasing things that, you know, like Carnival of Souls and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, like, what the hell is going on? And I reverted to pop and I went backwards listening to old stuff. And uh, that's kind of where... I lived and there was some stuff overseas that you could readily get now. It, not as re- readily as you can get it today, but, uh, you know, you would see stuff and it's like, Oh, I've never heard that. I wonder what that's about. And uh, that's how I kind of heard about talisman and some of those bands got in Ingve heavy. I was into Ingve heavy in the nineties because he didn't really change his sound much. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you point that out because I have to be honest in 96, uh, like I said, I was on the road a lot and the people that I was on the road were not necessarily metal fans or hard oh. rock fans. So I was exposed to a lot of different types of music. So I got into a lot of different things like Oasis and some of the things that I mentioned. So I wasn't necessarily listening to a ton of metal. You know, one great record that came out then that I really liked, I almost played something off of it, was this band Imperial Drag came out in 96 thought it was a really good record kind of a throwback to the 70s and bowie and t-rex and kind of that whole sound but i just wasn't listening to a ton of metal in 96 you know i had to share the radio or the cassette deck or or whatever you know with other people in the in the van because most of the time it was a van once in a while it was a bus but more times than not it was a van and a trailer so you're traveling with five six people in the same uh, van you got to share right yeah yeah so that's interesting that you say that we all kind of just went different directions to seek out music in 96 it sounds like it wasn't like we were kicked back listening to hard rock and metal full time so no good little episode like you know harder to pick songs like we could probably do 20 episodes of 1988 1989 and 1990 but so i can promise you this on the next episode we do of this ain't no disco i'm gonna pick the year and we're gonna go (laughs) we're gonna go way back in time watch we're gonna do like 1966 and it'll be just as bad (laughs) 
<laughs> we're not going to go that far back in time. But uh, yeah, it's all good. It is what it is. But yeah, just like I said, look, you can always find good music. You just got to know where to look for it no matter what the year is. I think there's always good music. You know, people say nothing good is coming out these days, but that's not necessarily true. Find good music out there. You just got to look for it. Oh, and you know what? I didn't think about it. I just thought about it. If I would have asked my brother, pick some songs from 96, he's seven years younger than me. He probably would have gave me 20 songs. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just how old we are. Who knows? All right, dude. I put all my music on my phone since I got a big ass phone with a bunch of gig space. So I'm going to do the shuffle, rattle, and roll with the entire catalog. What do you think about that? Uh, That's great. Watch. We're going to end up with like Oingo Boingo. Yeah, it could very well be. I have an Oingo Boingo's greatest hits on here, dude. Yeah, here comes Dead Man's Party. Watch. Remember that song? It's a Dead Man's Party. Yeah, from Weird Science, right? No. Yeah. No. Oh, was that? No. Back uh, back Back to school. school? Yeah, back to school. Back to school. All right. Shuffle, rattle, and roll. So, until next week. Later. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. When friends were more than people that you knew There was a place Where we could do what we were born to do There was a way That we could be what we were meant to be Love was alive and so were we There's no use keeping score in a game that never ends Is it all worth dying for If you never really lived Does anybody believe in anything anymore Can you see inside your dreams And wish for something more Is there anything we want that's still worth fighting for Truth and beauty one time seemed to be As time erased The visions I once saw so easily Was it destiny or fantasy? There's no use keeping score In a game no one can win Is it worth dying for if you never It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 